The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Well, if you haven't turned to Philippians chapter 1 yet, that's where we're going this morning in our continued study. But Philippians chapter 1 verse 21 is a powerful verse. All week... I kept saying it over and over again because literally it cuts like a surgeon's knife. For me to live is Christ. What does that mean? What is Christianity? When Paul makes a statement like that, What is he really getting across? The true answer should be known by every child of God. Christianity is a person. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. All that is rightly associated with Christianity has its center in the person of Jesus Christ. You take the Christ out of Christianity and you're left with absolutely nothing. Now, on the surface, this may seem obvious. Many people do not, however, fully understand the depth of for me to live is Christ. And as a result, faith is stunted. They see only the paraphernalia of Christianity. And consequently, they form false views of, of what Christianity really is. A great illustration was used by one of the commentators when he talked about a Soviet Soviet space probe that was sent to monitor Venus. It was sent to take measurements of oxygen, if there was any, or temperature, or atmospheric pressure. The probe stopped transmitting 3,774 miles from the center of Venus, presumably had crashed onto the surface. But the data that hit transmitted was unmistakable. However, scientists and years later discovered that the radius of Venus was only 3,759 miles. So the probe stopped transmitting 15 miles from the surface. Thus, all the data was meaningless. In the same way, thousands of well-meaning people stop receiving data when they are miles away from the heart of Christianity. For many people, a knowledge of Christianity stops with those who claim to be Christians. They identify with so-called Christian character, and since many Christians are far from what God intended, they don't have a full understanding of the depth of Christianity. Other people actually get into the atmosphere, perhaps as far as the organization, And then conclude that Christianity is the visible church, what they see and what they understand. Other people get as far as the ceremonies of the church and often pass for Christians because they participate properly. The fact is that so many churches are filled with people who have gone no farther than this one thing, that it leads to the weakness of Christianity today. There is no deep hunger for Christ. There is no deep passion for what Christ wants in us. 
Christianity is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing about Christianity will be understood until there is faith in Christ and a personal relationship with him. We've mentioned in the past how when Jesus created Adam and Eve and put them on the earth for fellowship, he came to them in the cool of the evening and they fellowshiped and they talked. And there was an actual breathing relationship. But when sin entered it, something had to be done. And skipping ahead just to us today in this, this 2016, if you know Christ as your Savior, that same relationship is desired by Christ. That same deep desire to know him, for him knowing us, and a living, breathing, active relationship is what's desired today. When Paul says, for me to live is Christ, he is literally falling on the relationship that supersedes anything this world has to offer. That's why we mentioned in the past how everything he had, he counted as refuge, as dung for the dung heap. Because nothing compared to the excellency of Christ. Nothing compared to the reality that Christ lives in me. Christ guides me. He leads me all the way through life. And that's what kept Paul so strong through all the things that he confronted in life. The best relationship to probably make this visible is the relationship between Christ and Paul. This truth was well known to Paul, and our text is a great expression of Paul because he writes, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But we need to take this in conjunction with another verse, Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Some people are scared off by this, almost a fanaticism, they say. But these two verses, one from the early days of Paul's ministry and the other from near the end of his ministry, summarize the living essence of the Apostle Paul. You put these two verses together and you have a great expression of of what undoubtedly was the passionate depth of Paul's heart. Like a kaleidoscope, when you look into it and you see the amazing colors, but when you rotate it and turn it, the prisms change, the color reflects, and it's absolutely spectacular. And that's really what happens when we take these two verses and we rotate them and turn them over and meditate and get into them and dissect them. What does it mean to say that Christianity is Christ or that Christ, the life of Christ is to be mine? As we turn over these verses, we're going to see three key things that I want us to see this morning. Christianity is faith in Christ. It is fellowship with Christ and it is following after Christ. Let's look first of all at faith in Christ. When you say that Christianity is Christ, you say in the first place that Christianity is faith in Christ. It is the acknowledgement that you can do nothing to save yourself. It is the acknowledgement that all you deserve is hell from a holy God. 
And it is the acknowledgement that because of his love, he set a plan to redeem us. This is the essence of the book of Galatians, and it is the essence of Galatians 2.20. Have you ever thought that when Adam and Eve messed up, he could have just started over? But here's the reality. When Christ chose to make Adam and Eve in his image, he chose to love. He chose to love you and I, and you and I were in the seed of Adam and Eve. By destroying Adam and Eve, he would have been destroying the love he already had for you. And this is what Paul is expressing and understanding here. To understand this verse properly, we must look at the historical background of the book of Galatians for a few minutes just to get a grasp here. The church of Galatians were among the first ones that Paul started, and they were particularly close to his heart. As Paul traveled through the Roman province of Galatia, which is now central Turkey, he endured real hardships. We find in in Galatians 4.13 that he preached because of illness, and then Acts tells us about his being stoned in Lystra. But such laborers were profitable. Churches were started, and the heart of the people grew for Christ. He had put forth much energy on their behalf. He had lived with them, prayed with them. They were grounded in the gospel. They knew Christ. They understood Christ. Christ was their life. And then when Paul went on to found other churches, in his wake, like crows following a farmer planting seed, Non-believers came trying to profit from Paul's ministry. They came with a show of authority, teaching that the salvation depended, at least in part, on human goodness. They reminded the Galatian Christians of the Jewish traditions and claimed special relationship with the Jerusalem apostles. They even cast doubt on the validity of Paul's apostleship. It's not enough, they said, to have faith in Christ to have salvation. It is necessary to become a Jew first. There must be circumcision, a keeping of the law, the holy days. These legalizers did not believe that salvation was through faith alone. And when the word reached Paul, he got very angry. And he penned these words back to Galatians, Galatians 1, 6 and 9, 6 through 9. He said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The first verse, the first segments in that, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. How easy it is for us when things don't go to suit us and we get mad, we get frustrated, may even get angry at God. How dare we go through this when we're trusting Christ. These people were so easily swayed and they knew the truth. For Paul, salvation was by faith in Christ alone. And he expressed this conviction vividly. 
Are you trusting Christ alone for your salvation? For the details of everyday life? Earlier, I mentioned that those who rejected Christ's true Christianity by stopping short of human character or, or Christian ceremonies. Unfortunately, many people trust these things to save them. Do you have faith in works, in ceremonies, in doing something? Do you think doing things can improve your character? You must let God strip these away like worn-out clothes. Christianity is faith in Christ and Christ alone, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then there is fellowship with Christ. Another aspect of the truth that Christianity is Christ, excuse me, another aspect of the truth that Christianity is Christ is that Christianity is fellowship with Christ. Too often Christians think of it impersonally. Christianity is a belief in Christ, but it is also communion or fellowship with him. And fellowship must be cultivated. Now there is a warning here. Because the modern scientist has lost God in the wonders of the world. We Christians are in real danger of losing God amidst the wonders of the word. And by that I mean we have almost forgotten that he is a person. And as such can be cultivated as any other person can. Do you have an impersonal religion? When you wake up in the morning... Do you realize that Christ is there to communicate with you? Do you realize that Christ is there to guide you every step of that day? Do you realize that the things of your life have been ordered by a holy God? Do you realize that he wants to walk with you, commune with you, speak to you through his words, have the Holy Spirit lead you every step? Do you realize that you have a relationship, a godly relationship promised by Almighty God to be with you every moment of your life? The fact that Christianity is a life to be cultivated is apparent in the early verses of 1 John. The writer is concerned about the facts of Jesus, but he takes it beyond that. And in 1 John 1 verse 3 He says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Doctrine must lead to fellowship with Jesus Christ. And when there is no fellowship or relationship, men are led by their own spirit to ritual to practice, and to pride. It's only through fellowship with the holy God that we gain the mind of Christ. And then he adds, verse 4 of 1 John 1, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So that joy may be complete. What completes joy? An active fellowship with the one who saved us. Jesus Christ himself. Apart from Christ, there is no real joy. Do you understand that there is a living relationship with Jesus Christ available to you? And so many Christians miss this. They read the word and they try to do. 
Is there anything in your life that radiates the presence of Christ? If there is no fellowship, there's no real joy. If there's no fellowship, there is no real peace. Are activities keeping you from fellowship? Are the things of your life so busying you that you can't cultivate that kind of relationship? Mary and Martha were both friends of Jesus. In fact, it was Martha who ran to meet Jesus when he returned to Bethany following the death of Lazarus. It was she who expressed faith in the final resurrection in John eleven twenty four, and it was her who expressed faith in Jesus when she exclaimed in John eleven twenty one, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But when Jesus was there and they were having a meal and Martha was busy working in the kitchen and getting everything ready to feed him, and she got frustrated with Mary because Mary was just sitting at the feet of Jesus. She wasn't helping She wasn't getting involved in the process, and Martha got frustrated. And she went to Jesus and said, Lord, you know, paraphrasing, I need help. And I love the way Jesus addressed her. In Luke 11, 41 through 42, he said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. What was the one thing that was necessary? It was sitting at the feet of Jesus and developing a relationship. We think our service is needed and fellowship is dispensable. We need to learn that nothing can be a substitute for a cultivation of the presence of God. This is why Paul could be so confident in whatever situation came his way. Because his relationship with Christ was so deep and so sure and so secure that he knew whatever came into his life was permitted by God for a purpose. And he loved it. I mean, how many people can be whipped to near death and rejoice? How many people can be put in prison and chained and rejoice? How does somebody do that? There's only one way. By having that relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he could shout from the rooftops, for me to live is Christ. And then there is following after Christ. The Christ in whom we believe is a Christ on the move. And one, and one fellowship we enjoy is so deep, a fellowship of the living room is important. But this fellowship was more like a soldier marching under the eye of a commander. It is in its simplest form, Christ's call was, follow me. It was the call to the disciples. It was the call to the rich young ruler. It was the call to the multitudes who came to hear him. Our You called to an active, moving relationship? Yes. If you name the name of Christ, that's what you're called to. Now, let me make a very difficult statement here. You cannot follow Christ unless you have forsaken all that keeps you from him. Peter and Andrew left their nets. James and John left Zebedee. Matthew left his money tables. 
you must leave your sin, your own aspirations, your own concepts of yourself and your will. And this is an ongoing thing that happens daily in the life of a child of God. Kyle Eidelman, in one of his books, makes this bold statement. He says, you cannot call him Lord unless you call yourself his slave. That's a pretty direct comment. Jesus said, unless you forsake all and take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. He said, unless a man hate his father and his mother and his brother and sister, he cannot be my disciple. That sounds cold. He wasn't teaching to hate people. He was teaching that unless he is the head of everything in your life, you cannot be my disciple. There is a cost to Christianity, friends. There is a cost that puts him at the head of everything. And until we get that place in our life where we're willing to surrender, we'll never be able to say, for me to live is Christ. And we'll look at Paul and Peter and James and John and all these others as just very unusual people who, boy, it would be nice to be like them, but oh well, they're Bible people. No. The reason the Lord has recorded these words is so that you and I can know what's available and to know how we are to live. Now, for this to be possible, Paul says there must be a crucifixion. It's true that he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he said in Galatians 2.20, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is victory in the Son of God. This is victory. This is Christian living. But before he could say any of these things, Paul had to be able to say, I am crucified with Christ. When Christ hung on that cross and paid for my sins, I died with him that day. I died to myself. I died to my plans and my aspirations. He will rule in my life. He is the head of my life. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. You see, the reality of that verse is, I'm crucified with Christ. I died on that cross, but now I'm no longer living. It's Christ living in me. And this is why Jesus Christ promised the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus said, I have to go back to heaven so I can send the comforter. Because when Jesus was here in his human form, he was with a a small group of people. He couldn't be with everyone. But when he went back to glory and sent his Holy Spirit, every person who accepts Christ as Savior now has the indwelling spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ in his heart. He must increase and I must decrease. He is the one who lives through us. He is the one who guides us. And so Paul could say, I'm dead now. I'm dead to myself. I'm dead to my plans. Christ is the one living in me. And that's how you say, for me to live is Christ. There must be a dying to self before the spirit of the disciple can be set free. Christianity is no easy thing. 
It is the walk of the disciple who must bear his cross. You want blessings? You want salvation? You want peace? None of this is available if you are not willing to die to yourself. During the days of Christ's ministry, there were hours spent in pleasant places, at weddings, by the Sea of Galilee. But at other times, there were steps through angry crowds and steps before faces of those who hated Christ. All the time, they followed. At last, the steps of, the, of Christ led up the steep ascent to Jerusalem and stopped at the foot of the cross. The disciples were stunned. The work for three years apparently taken in vain. But instead, the work was finished. The atonement was made. The veil was rent in two. Christ had provided access for all believers into God's presence. In the same way, our following of Christ must lead to crucifixion beyond the cross. We must follow wherever he leads, in pleasant places or hostile places. He must be glorified by our willingness to follow wherever he leads. No one can crucify himself or herself. But God will crucify the Christian. He will place you on a cross knowing that through death to self lies resurrection power and the removing of the veil. He must increase, but I must decrease. Do you realize that the glory of God is the only thing we can pursue that's not in vain? Do you realize that? The only thing that you and I can pursue is the glory of God. Everything else is in vain. The glory of God is the only reality. He is supreme. Do you get excited about the almighty, sovereign God who will accomplish his purposes in life? Isaiah 46 verse 10 says, Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purposes. As you make the decisions of your life every day, do you realize you serve a God whose purposes will be accomplished? Are his, his purposes free to reign in your heart? Are the purposes of God alive and vivid and breathing in your heart? Outside of Jesus, there is existence, but there is no such thing as life. Outside of Jesus, there is existence, but there is no such thing as life. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You're not only promised life in heaven, you're promised an abundant life now. You think Paul had an abundant life? Man, he was on top of the world. Didn't matter what happened. Christ was in him. For him to live is Christ. Life was a blast. You and I look at that and we're like, really? That's a blast? Well, when Christ is leading, it is. 
The idea is that you don't have life without him. Matthew 16, 26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Now please understand that the reason Jesus came is because you were existing in a manner that was not the way you were created to exist. So Jesus came to fulfill the purpose of recreating you. All of us apart from Christ are not living according to our intended created purpose. But God so loved you that he set in motion a plan that his son would come and become a man and die on the cross and pay for your sins so you could be recreated in him and get back to your intended created purpose, living for and with Almighty God. Is there anything in this life more important? Is there anything in this world that seems more important than that reality? Matthew 10, 39, whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He came to you so that you might have life. Are you really living? Matthew 7, 14 says, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Imagine that. Those who find it are few. Are you one of the few? Are you one of the ones who knows Christ and is living to develop that deep walk, to know him better? Are you living in the margin of your life or at the center of his will? One of the most powerful verses in all the Bible, one of the ones that just cuts like a knife is in Jeremiah 2, verses 12 through 13. God says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can't even hold water. He's like, heavens, get this. All of creation, get this. I am the source of living water. And my people are digging their own cisterns. They're trying to be their own source and they don't even hold water. He is offering freely living water. Outside of Christ, there is no existence. But there is no such thing as life apart from him. For me to live is Christ. Are you alive? Are you alive? Remember, Christ doesn't possess love. He is love. Christ doesn't possess joy. He 
is joy. He is offering to every one of us a life so amazing, so full of his glory. But you've got to be willing to die to yourself. You have to be willing to surrender everything to him. For me to live is Christ. As the men come to prepare for communion, I want you to be thinking in your heart about the reality because we now participate in a reminder of that death on the cross. Every person here who's trusted Christ You died on that cross with Christ. But the reality and the reason we're to be reminded of what he did is also to remind us, are we living like those who were crucified with Christ? Will you leave here this morning saying, I'm crucified with Christ, but it's not me living anymore. It's Christ living in me. I give up everything. I surrender everything to him. I just want to get rid of anything and everything that hinders me from being what you want me to be, Lord. I want you to own my relationships. I want you to own my spouse, my children. I want you to own my job, my money, my health, my mind, how I think. I want you to be everything. Are you willing to do that this morning? Go to God right now in meditation as we prepare for this table. Father, as we begin to partake in this, Lord, I pray that no one here will partake unworthily, that we have surrendered everything to you, that you are on the throne of our lives, and that we are on the cross, surrendering everything to you. Please move in the hearts of each one of us now, in Christ's name.
For I received from the Lord, who I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And I would say, if God has done something in your heart this morning and you need to talk, please don't hesitate to seek out one of the men or myself 
that we might be able to get you to that place you're desiring to be. But let's stand and join hands and we'll sing this hymn that we have. Father, we thank you that you are worthy. We thank you, Lord, that you provide a life without end to those who will trust you, to those called according to your plan. Go with us this day, Lord, and may we leave being able to say with Paul, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Let that be the residence of our heart. Me to live is Christ, to die is gain. We will praise you in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen.
There's hope for the hopeless For all those who strayed Come sit at the table Come taste the grace There's rest for the weary A rest that endures But has no sorrow Heaven can cure So lay down your Lay down 